The incredible stories of faith and courage of chaplains in the Australian Armed Services is the subject of Michael Gladwin's award-winning book, Captains of the Soul. In the midst of war and death, these chaplains were so often embodying Jesus on the battlefield, going where it was most dangerous, ministering to the fearful, even holding funeral services with bullets flying overhead. In the beautiful Australian War Memorial, I spoke with lecturer and author Michael Gladwin, unearthing some of these stories. I'm Carl Fays, and this is my interview with Michael Gladwin. So Michael, what got you interested in chaplaincy and uh, chaplaincy in the armed forces? Well, it married two interests. I long had an interest in military history since I was a kid. And I think it's because my dad used to bring us to the War Memorial when I was a kid, when mum was at, uh, at her wits end with five kids under seven. But that interest in military history was uh, complemented by an interest in the history of Christianity. And I went on eventually and did training, doctoral training in history of modern Christianity in the context of the West. So I was approached in 2011 by the chaplaincy department. I just started lecturing at St. Mark's here in Canberra and they wanted someone to write the centenary history of the chaplaincy corps. No one had written this history and it was due in 2013. So that gave me a hard deadline, but it uh, launched me on this research journey. I mean, it was, it's an academic job, but it was a labor of love as well. It was, I, I was saying, uh, to someone that the book kind of wrote itself. I just came across these extraordinary stories of faith, of courage, of selfless devotion. Yeah. And so it did, it did become a labor of love. So the book you named Captain of the Soul, why that title? Well, I came across the story of Chaplain Hugh Cunningham, who was an Australian chaplain in uh, the brutality and the horror of the Thai Burma railway and the prison of war camps under the Japanese. And he, made a difference in that camp. Uh, many soldiers spoke of the, the tone and the difference that it made with chaplains of his moral fibre and courage, their selfless care for the soldiers around him. The Japanese wondered what he was about because they couldn't see a rank. They didn't wear a rank at this point, the chaplains. And he was treated with immense authority and respect by the other soldiers. So eventually, they weren't sure what he was, but they gave him a little armband with Japanese characters. And he, suddenly the Japanese soldiers started to treat him with more respect rather than the casual brutality that they treated him with before. Well, he didn't know what that said for uh, the several years that he was in captivity. He came back to Australia, he kept it, and finally got someone to translate it. And it said, Captain of the Souls of Men. Mm. And for me, that summed up the, I guess, the vocation of spiritual and moral leadership that Australian chaplains exhibited yeah, in all what, world wars. What a wonderful story. Let's go back in history. What were the first chaplains ever? So we know about chaplains right back to centuries before Christ with Assyrian armies. They had religious functionaries within their ranks. But in the Christian tradition, the story begins with Martin of Tours, a fourth century soldier who apparently saw a beggar on the road, cut part of his cape to give to the beggar and not long afterwards, had a vision of Christ wearing that same part of his cape. And he converted to Christianity, became an important bishop and an evangelist to rural areas of Gaul or modern day France. The Frankish kings kept his, kept his little cape, uh, the, the term was capella in Latin, kept that little cape and they took it into battle with them. And they had 
had uh, clergy who became the keepers of that relic. They were called keepers of the capella or chaplains in French. Mm. And it's from that term uh, of chaplains embedded with armies that we have chaplains. And eventually the British uh, during the civil wars had full-time armies and they had chaplains as part of that establishment. And from then on, well, they're part of it. Let's jump forward to Gallipoli. Chaplains were actually a part of the forces in Gallipoli. That's right. I mean, chaplains were there on the first day on the beach in Gallipoli. Uh, there was a Catholic chaplain, John Fay, who went ashore with those early waves and several came after him. There were other chaplains on the hospital ships receiving the wounded. Uh, chaplains, Australian chaplains have always gone wherever Australian soldiers have gone and they've always had a reputation for being right on the front line. So wherever soldiers were, uh, the chaplains were as well. It might sound like a funny question, but what exactly did they do when they were in those settings, say in Gallipoli on the beach? Yeah, chaplains have these multi-pronged roles. So the first is religious uh, and spiritual, so uh, prayer meetings, uh, church services, worship services, uh, rites of passage, praying for the dying, uh, caring for the wounded. There's a practical pastoral element they're caring about the social welfare of soldiers, so they're writing letters back to the family. They're advising young innocents abroad on the traps of, uh, of going to brothels or you know, getting themselves into trouble. They're also uh, offering help wherever it's needed, whether that's carrying supplies or acting as stretcher bearers uh, under fire. They had a role to, in terms of moral leadership, instructing soldiers in morality and ethics, and Finally, they had an important role in commemoration. So that was in burying the dead, but also in leading services of thanksgiving, of worship, and really shaping commemoration. Anzac Day, the march past, the minute silence, was all created by an Anglican chaplain, um, Canon David Garland, and he based it on the Requiem Mass. Mm. And his hope was that commemoration would point people to God rather than a kind of nationalistic sentimentalism or idolatry. I can think of... Um very significant funerals where ministers of religion are leading a funeral in Australia for someone who's died overseas. On the beach in Gallipoli, you did the funeral there. What was that like? That's right. Well, we have accounts of chaplains who were doing the funerals sometimes at night because it was the only safe time. There, were, uh, there was artillery and machine gun fire continually. Some of them took the risks and just did it during the day. They didn't want to leave their men out there in no man's land. So uh, we have some accounts of one chaplain, Mackenzie, who crouched and had all the others crouch as they did the burial service. And they could feel the wind from the bullets and from the shrapnel going past. And he had numerous close scrapes. I mean, they, they even had, sometimes people were killed during those burial parties. Mackenzie became uh, quite a hero and a, a person of some note. Well, Mackenzie was the chaplain whose reputation took on mythic proportions. Uh, he was a bear of a man, massive frame, uh, but that meant he had this extraordinary strength. So he would carry supplies, he would cut steps into, uh, into the dirt to help soldiers get through. He acted as a stretcher bearer under fire, he was burying them under fire, and he was right up on the front lines on the trenches. At Lone Pine, he was there in the front line trenches before the counterattack, within hours of the soldiers making that first um, bloody charge to those trenches. Uh, he had uh, a great capacity for uh, endearing himself to the men. He had a great care and compassion for them. Uh, he was a boxer. 
He also made an impression on them physically. With a, he had an uppercut that was pretty dangerous as well. So a kind of muscular Christianity that soldiers could relate to. But it was really his demeanor as a kind of father figure. They called him the father of the battalion. He was the dad of the battalion. Uh, and after the war, uh, word got around and all sorts of stories and legends were uh, created about fighting Mac mm. McKenzie. There's also stories about funerals in, in uh, Tobruk and uh, a particular army padre seeking to do a funeral. Well, in the siege of Tobruk in the Second World War, uh, German dive bombers would come in and strafe them with machine guns. And uh, it was, was always quite dangerous to do any sort of uh, work in the open. And they, as a result, they had uh, several graves dug. So they always had more graves than they had the people they were burying. Because as the dive bombers came over, they would dive into these graves, a bit like trenches. One, uh, on one incident, uh, a Anglican chaplain was reading the prayer book and he got to the part where it says, in the midst of life, we are in death. And just as he said that, a Stuka dive bomber came through. They could hear the machine guns rattling. They all dived into these graves and saved their lives. This podcast is brought to you by the Ministry of Olive Tree Media. Our vision is to create a library of resources that tell the story of the game-changing message of Jesus. This interview was recorded for our latest documentary, Faith Runs Deep. Our other award-winning series, Jesus the Game Changer and Towards Belief, plus many other small group, church and school series are available on our Watch Plus platform for a small monthly partnership. As you partner with us, you not only get access to compelling video content and interactive discussion guides, but you also support the creation of more resources that help share the gospel message. To become a partner and get access to Faith Runs Deep, visit olivetreemedia.com.au. As we move forward, First World War, Second World War and into the Vietnam War, what's happening with chaplaincy? Yeah, so chaplains are still reprising those same roles of spiritual, moral and practical leadership. Things change though slightly because they have more help from a, a newly, uh, I guess, professionalised uh, care chain of command, as it's called. So suddenly there are psychologists, social well welfare officers who are helping in that work that chaplains were previous previously doing. And that reflected changes in Australian society by the 1960s. Uh, more professionalised care, but also an increasingly secular nation. And so chaplains uh, found that uh, fewer attended church services, they had to be more creative in reaching Australian soldiers. That said, they noticed still that the, the closer you got to the battle lines, the more the church services swelled. Back at HQ, hardly any attended, but once you were just about to go on patrol, and chaplains went on patrol with soldiers in the Vietnam War, out out uh, beyond the wire. Uh, but the closer you got to battle, both before and after, you would have almost the whole um, platoon or the whole uh, group of soldiers. And there were even things like doing the sacrament. Communion was, was, was taken by chaplains as well. Yeah, that's right. So the sacraments have always been really important for the chaplains. Uh, and it's been done in all manner of locations, from the backs of jeeps to even one chaplain in 
Vietnam used a thunderbox, that is a field latrine. Unused, he said, he made that point, this was an unused field latrine, but he needed a box for the altar, so he used that and had a lot of ribbing from the soldiers afterwards. Well, one thing did change in the Vietnam War, and that's uh, soldiers were repatriated to Australia after they were killed. And so chaplains were spared the unenviable task of battlefield burials, although they were still involved in burials back home in Australia. You would have talked to chaplains that were in the Vietnam War, perhaps not in the First and Second World War, clearly. What was their response to their experiences? Well, like chaplains in other wars, they found it uh, immensely challenging and fulfilling. And they did see uh, the response that Australian soldiers would respond. You just had to be creative in how you got alongside them. But again, if you were with them in all that they did, that built the rapport and the relationship so that you could speak into their lives about spiritual or about yeah. religious or faith matters. Um, I talked to a couple of chaplains who had been there. One mentioned that the challenge for him was coming back to an Australia that had changed as well. The moratoriums against Vietnam had politicised this generation of the 60s and 70s. And even in churches, there was one Methodist chaplain who came back and was uh, really struggled because the church he was in had gone anti-war and there wasn't much concern or respect for chaplains for the war. But like Australian soldiers, chaplains were, were lumped in with the soldiers and they were uh, treated very badly in some cases. Moving forward to Afghanistan, wars like the Afghanistan war, chaplains involved there, what was their role in that? Yeah, chaplains, again, uh, performed all the, the roles they performed in other wars. And uh, that included going out on patrol. Really? I mean, you'd sort, of, you'd sort of think that, you can imagine that in Gallipoli, in the kind of sophisticated world of, of, uh, mili of the military now, you would you expect them to be kept safe back in some sort of green zone. They, they're, they're out on patrol? That's right. And it's because chaplains recognise if they're going to have the respect of soldiers, if they're going to have, uh, you know, the uh, affection and friendship of soldiers, they have to do what soldiers do. And they have to be there at their points of need. And that is right on the front line as well as in the hospitals and as well as on the, uh, the back, the, the rear areas as well. Yeah. Uh, and so they recognise they have to be out there. And so chaplains did that. They would go on patrol in Taliban infested areas, they uh, would go out to the, the bases, the forward operating bases, and they would be a presence, yeah. a ministry of presence among those soldiers. You can imagine people, you know, just about to go out and patrol, being very interested in spiritual things. Did they become Christians? Were there, were there those who decided to, to, to follow Jesus in, in their life in those circumstances through the work of chaplaincy? Well, one thing that struck me in this research was the enormous amount of evidence for those who came to faith through the ministry of the chaplains. Uh, literally thousands and thousands of testimonies of, of soldiers coming to faith. But not only that, soldiers who might have been to Sunday school or had a nominal faith, they would embrace a deep and real faith. They would be uh, brought to something deeper than they'd known. Uh, can I tell you one story where that legacy actually I found had an impact on my own family. There was a chaplain in the Second World War in the Changi and Kranji prison of war camps by the name of Aubrey Payne. He was an Anglican chaplain, high Anglican. He uh, apparently, when he preached, he preached like a Methodist revivalist preacher apparently, but uh, was 
dearly loved by the soldiers there. There was a, an integrity and a moral courage that soldiers recognized and they just loved talking to him. There was a young soldier by the name of Geoffrey Bingham, a young sergeant who was challenged by the existential questions that were raised by being in the prison camp, evil and suffering, how can there be a good God? He would spend hours talking with pain and uh, he said there was just something about pain. He didn't give him all the right answers, but he, he said that he knew God. He knew the one they were talking about. And Bingham was reading these uh, atheists and all sorts of philosophers and others, but he said, pain was better than my literary mentors. Bingham made a decision after that to become a Christian. He, after the war, went on to become an evangelist and missionary uh, right through Southeast Asia. He saw revivals happen under his ministry in many parts of Australia and overseas. Well, I was telling this story to my mum uh, after I'd finished the book, and she said, Geoffrey Bingham, he had a huge impact on my life. She had uh, heard him at a conference, and on hearing his challenge for missions, she decided to be a full-time missionary to Papua New Guinea. So that chain of influence went right back to this chaplain in the Second World War. In the midst, war in the midst of war and in, in all that pain and difficulty. That's right. What a wonderful story. So tell me about Mac McElveen. So this is another chaplain who was in Tobruk. They were under siege from German and Italian forces in an early part of the Second World War. The Australian division was there and they held out stubbornly, so much so that they were called the Desert Rats by the Germans. It was a term of derision, but they took it as a badge of honour and they still call themselves the Desert Rats. The chaplains among them were uh, crucial in maintaining morale. And one of those guys who did that was a guy by the name of Arthur McElveen. And he was called Padre Mac, not Fighting Mac like the Mackenzie. Uh, he was always there when they came back from patrol. He was there with a, a kerosene tin of coffee. He was always where the action was hottest, the soldiers had said. Uh, this, this ministry of presence was crucial for them and, and endeared him to soldiers. One soldier said, if I cop the boxer, if I, if I get killed, I want Mac to take my funeral. He was a Salvation Army uh, honorary chaplain as well. Now, he uh, was also famous for his gramophone. He had this battered old gramophone in a suitcase. You know, they didn't have Walkmans back then. It was about that big. And he would play music. And the two songs soldiers loved were Lead Kindly Light. This is the famous hymn by John Henry Newman about being far from home, but asking Christ to lead him on, even though he's far from his loved ones and Psalm 23. And you can think about the resonance of verses like, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. These songs were uh, great for the morale and for instilling a sense of hope among the soldiers. But he also played Italian operas. And Australian soldiers thought he was harassing the Italian soldiers by playing operas in their language to them, taunting them. But actually he wasn't because he also played the, uh, the music to prisoners in the hospital, including German and Italian prisoners. And you would have these expressions of grazie, grazie from the Italian soldiers hearing beautiful music in their language. So his care was for all, uh, whether they were Australian, whether they were German or Italian. Were chaplains only focused on people who were Christians and showed interest in issues of faith? No, they were concerned with every soldier they met, regardless of nationality, regardless of whether they were enemy, whether they were uh, a fellow Australian, uh, of people of faith and people of no faith, uh, even people of other faiths as well. One of the chaplain's roles in the modern army is to help people with their religious and spiritual lives. Uh, so if 
a Muslim soldier needs to get to a mosque, the chaplain will help him get there. Obviously, he's not going to agree with that belief, but he's going to do all he can to nurture their religious and spiritual lives. And that's what chaplains have done. This series is called Faith Runs Deep. How do you see faith running deep in Australia? Well, first of all, we can see it running deep in the thousands and thousands of Australians who have expressed gratitude to the chaplains for the ministry that they've offered. Uh, the thousands of Australians who have come to faith through the ministry of these chaplains and those who've had their faith deepened uh, by uh, the, uh, and through the ministry of chaplains. But there's a wonderful metaphor that another Australian chaplain in the Second World War used. He said, the Australian soldier outwardly is quite a larrikin. He's blasphemous. Uh, he's uh, you know, got a, a wicked black sense of humor to get through difficult times, but he's also philosophical in the face of life and death and uh, has an extraordinary capacity for endurance and for suffering for his mates. But he said, you get this sincerity about deeper things as well, uh, but you've just got to tap it. Uh, it's under the surface. And he said, the Australian soldier is like, uh, and the Australian young person, I guess you could say, because this is the biggest youth outreach in Australian history. Um, the Australian soldier is like the great artesian basins under Australia. Uh, you've just got to know how to tap them to get, the, to get to the stream and to get to the spiritual life. And he said, a skilled chaplain is able to do that. And that's what skilled chaplains have been doing for well over a century. Thank you for joining me on this podcast as I unearth stories of faith in Australia. To watch the full Faith Runs Deep series and all Olive Tree Media content, go to olivetreemedia.com.au and sign up to the Watch Plus platform and partner with us today.